We're back. We are here and we are very happy to do so as well because First Strike is happening right now. We are in the thick of our next big major Valorant tournament across all regions and we're here to break it all down and give you some predictions and analysis as well. I'm Arda. We got Emily and Tyler with us this week. Jacob is probably off. Uh, finding some wolf bombs to cover yeah. or, or release somewhere into the wild. <laughs> yeah. It is a little bit of a busy season for him, but don't worry. He will be in the mix uh, throughout every single week. And that I guess we should start with that. The Valorant mm -hmm. show is back every single yeah. Thursday, as you were accustomed to back in the day before Worlds. Uh, we're back every single Thursday. All we ask is that you follow us on Twitter at ESPN underscore esports to get more information on timing and scheduling, etc. But if you are a fan of Valorant, if you're a fan of this show, guess what? We're here for you, and we're back on a weekly basis, which is very, World very is exciting. Yeah. <laughs> we got we got one game left, and then we can, World we can is over. World is over, Arda. It's all over. There's nothing left. It's all over. Everybody, yeah, it's all over, Arda. We don't. I would. I, I would. I would sing "Worlds is over" in the takeover song, but I don't want to DMCA strike, so I'm just oh. going to leave it at that. Uh, so. And by the way, if you're a League of Legends fan, we have a lot of free agency announcements coming. Also, follow us on Twitter for that. But why don't we focus on Valorant right now? Let's focus on First Strike. First thing we should talk about are the patch notes. And uh, we will talk about what is in the patch notes in a second. But let's give some credit to Riot here, Emily. We should really give credit where credit is due because Riot heard the concerns, particularly from the competitive community, First strike open qualifiers happening, a lot of concerns and bugs as it pertains to the patch that was just released. So Riot said, okay, you know what? We're going to scale it back. And this is not something that we are necessarily accustomed to, especially across many esports. But Riot certainly listening to their fan base, and they have been with Valorant. They've been very communicative, Emily, so credit where credit's due. Uh, I mean, they've been really communicative so I don't want to like uh, roast them too hard. I think we'd already previously talked about the difficulties of bringing up a patch mid-tournament, right? We talked about this last week with introducing both a new map and a new agent uh, <clears throat> mid-tournament and the advantages that maybe top seeds would get <clears throat> over lower seeds, depending on when the patch launched. Um, there were a lot of bugs, and so they decided to basically revert the patch. I think, if anything, my request, again, um, and I hate to be like, uh, I feel like I'm already starting this off on a very negative note, but we need some sort of like tournament realm or something so that um, these changes that go through, obviously they want to push, push these patches out for uh, for comp and for solo queue, for, for queue basically, um, and, and the competitive scene should have some sort of way to, you know, circumvent that and still have their, their competitions separate from what's going on on the solo queue ladder and in the game itself, because that's what we're coming up against here, right? And uh, not only just in balancing, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, um, there's, there's always that push-pull between uh, the actual competitive scene and the rest of the player base. And obviously they did want to get this patch out. Uh, they had to roll it back for, for many bugs, including the weird face bug that everyone's talking about. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think they do deserve credit for being communicative. I think this can be circumvented in a lot of ways, particularly if they get some sort of tournament realm like what League of Legends has, so that launching a patch doesn't necessarily affect the competitive scene uh, immediately and force people to have to react to it immediately. 
What do you think, Tyler? I think uh, it's a a tricky situation, right? You're trying to balance competitive play and you're trying to balance casual play with, you know, your your, your, your entire, you know, multi-million dollar player base around the world, but you're also trying to cater to your, you know, your hardcores. This is a competitive game. I mean, the developer said it before the game even came out is that, if you don't like competitive play, if you're not a big esports fan, you might not like Valorant because this game is very directed towards the competitive scene. First Strike is kind of its first real big tournament. You know, these regional championships kind of, you know, making way for a possible first lane, a possible first world championship in 2021, hopefully. And I think of everything that Valorant has been, it's been a solid B plus. It's a B plus art. Every it, every time it feels like Valorant is on the cusp of getting to that A+, plus, that A-, minus, that A, where it feels like it's about to, you know, get over the line, it's something just kind of drags it back. I think right at the end of the Ignition series, I think all of us were agreeing, like, man, Valorant is blowing up. Like, we're getting 180,000 viewers for the uh, NA Ignition series. EU verse, uh, EU viewership is ticking up. Uh, uh, Japanese viewership is going crazy. And then we have this Worlds block where it's like, okay, guys, uh, see you in two months. We're going to go uh, worry about League of Legends Worlds. We'll come back to you in two months. We're going to have Icebox and Sky, and then we'll have the First Strike Tournament. And the momentum kind of shifted, and it kind of got blocked off. And it's kind of, for the last two months, Valorant, you know, on Twitch and overall, has kind of lost a bit of its luster in terms of viewership. And I think this past weekend, with the First Strike, we've seen a lot more viewership come into not just the Twitch scene, but I think overall there's been a lot more interest, you know, including us having our show back. It shows that we're interested. And I think right when we're back to get back to that, you know, that A level to get, you know, excited for Valorant, the future of Valorant, the international scene of Valorant, we have issues like these. And, and to Riot's credit, they were fast on the trigger. They pulled, they, they reverted back the, the patch and everything is fine and we're going to go into the sky patch and everything when it's needed and they'll they'll roll it out after this tournament hopefully and we'll be fine but i I think overall it's it's a series of slight missteps that are keeping them away from being that a game that a esport they really want to be but they're also showing a lot of savviness to actually know when they're making mistakes and pulling back and, and making sure it doesn't go into a c or d or f level they're keeping that B plus average throughout. And I think with a bit more tinkering and with hopefully, you know, freer travel in 2021, hopefully the global pandemic, hopefully, you know, subsides, then we can see that A esport, that tier one esport. I think that Riot knows Valorant can be. I also think like we have to, um, like there are a lot of complaints you could make about Riot, like quote unquote, not learning from League of Legends. But need I remind people that the qualifier for the first uh, League of Legends championship in season one, in that qualifier, uh, Dyrus DC'd from their, like, from his team's qualifying match. And the response from the casters is just kind of like, well, that happened. Can't do anything about that. So (laughs) I I want to give, like, the range of, like, how far we come. And obviously we should have higher expectations from Riot, but... I did want to point that out as well. When when we're comparing the first year of Valorant esports to the first year of League of Legends esports, it's actually like a very significant uh, improvement. 
So let's talk about the patch notes themselves. I linked them in the chat if you want to take a look and refresh yourself on exactly what is in the patch notes. I'd like to get one thing highlighted from each of you. If there was one thing that you really took away from these patch notes, we saw small buffs to the flashes for Breach and Phoenix, a little bit of a nerf for Killjoy in terms of radius for her abilities remaining active, a change to the economy system. What really stuck out for you, Tyler? Let's start with you on this one. Leave Killjoy alone, Riot. Just leave Killjoy alone. I, I feel <laughs> I feel like Riot has this like attitude of like we must punish the Sentinels. We must punish our, our defensive uh agents and we must make them worse and worse and worse. And we must we saw Osage. Osage, how we remember you so fondly. Oh, uh, we remember who? Who? Remember Sage, old great Sage, the the former, the former hero, the hundred percent pick, uh, pick rate uh, agent, the star of the game in, in all competitive levels, and how every patch they just kind of paper cutted, paper cut, paper cut. Paper cut. And then after like a few patches, they just took a sword to her and just sliced her in half, Arda and Emily. They just destroyed my girl Sage. And it feels like they're doing the same thing to Killjoy, where it's like every patch is like tick, tick, tick. Let's just get paper cut after paper cut. Make her more and more irrelevant. Even when she's not an overly picked agent in the competitive scene, I don't believe she's an overly picked character in either the you know general like casual audience or in competitive play i think she's in a perfect spot honestly so uh, uh, just leave her alone leave my sentinel girls alone right leave killjoy alone i know she's a bit cringy i know she's a bit annoying i know her ult is uh, she's not the most you know fun character to play against but you know let's leave her as she is she's not that oppressive i think she's fine i think she's in a fine place Look more. Well, how is Jet getting away with all this? How is Killjoy still getting paper cuts while Jet's over there flying at a million miles per hour? Still, you know, no scoping people on the operator. Come on now. So I'll that actually piggybacks right into what I'm going to talk about because the answer to that is casual play. I think because uh, I want to bring up Breach because I think Riot has had a really difficult time trying to figure out what to do with Breach because he's so great and competitive. Like, the fact that he is receiving buffs still, on top of what they did to Flashes just overall with the um, the degradation happens later, so you're basically full flashed for longer. Like, Breach is now, like, insane, in my opinion. Like, he's, he's so good. And I think the reason is because they're still seeing the pick rate in solo queue and they're like, he's not getting picked enough. He's not getting picked enough. Um, and my concerns initially when talking to the developers about stage were that they were going to really heavily rely on like solo queue pick rates to try to decide what to do. And I think breach and all of the issues that they've had because he's so heavily reliant, his kit so heavily reliant on communicating with your teammates and actually talking to them and uh, coordinating with them to set up on sites and approach sites. Um, I think they've really, really struggled. Like I think Breach is actually the agent that they've struggled with the most in terms of uh, trying to find like a, a sweet spot for him. And uh, you know, 
in the process of that, we've just seen him go be absolutely nutty and competitive. Uh, so I think the fact that Breach is receiving buffs is actually kind of hilarious to me from a competitive context. I understand why it's happening, but <clears throat> it's it points out uh, the age-old esports struggle of how do we balance this game for casuals versus how do we balance this game for for competitive, even in a game like Valorant, where they've really tried to stress that this is a competitive game, like Tyler uh, alluded to earlier, uh, where we want people to be into esports, we want people to be into like tactical competition from the get-go, even in their solo queue games. Um, that is something that I, I think they still struggled with, and Breach kind of is the microcosm of that. Uh, the Cypher nerf is kind of interesting, because I think it changes the way he plays. But I don't think it will change his pick rate all that much. Right. When he dies, then all of her all of his abilities are now deactivated. The yeah. tripwire is gone. <laughs> the camera is gone. And they get noticed by the enemy as well. So that you can kind of get a little bit of intel on where you were being seen. Yeah, and basically the it has to change the way you play, right? Because if your cipher dies early, then you suddenly have to like adjust in the moment. You have to adjust your approach in the moment if you're um I mean, especially on attack. Uh, if you're the attacking yeah. team, like suddenly if you're setting up a uh, flank position or uh, you you suddenly have to worry about the opponents turning around and flanking you if your cypher gets picked off early. So um, I, I'm like, I don't want to say like, oh, I hate this yet. Uh, I want to see how it plays. I want to see how people adjust to it. Initially, when it came out, I wasn't a huge fan. Though. I also want to bring up most importantly, maybe the most important thing in this entire patch is that no longer if you die to the spike. You will, your KDA will now stay intact. So as a true KDA player, as a true KDA player who, who loves my stats, who loves to look at my KD and feel proud of myself to be over that 1.0 KD rank, I am so happy that finally I don't have to die the stupid bomb radius. Gone. Don't care. Doesn't matter to my KDA anymore. It's whatever. I'm good. I I had one magnificent round in my entire Valorant career where I, I got an ace and Sage used her alt to res one of the opponents. I mm. got them too, but then I died to my own spike. So I got a seven kill round. So like that's gone now. It's like <laughs> I had this mythical round that I can talk mm. about for years and years to come and be like, I remember the days when I could get a seven kill round. Uh, those were the days. Uh, first strike. So far, we have gone through multiple rounds of the Nerd Street Gamers Open Qualifier. We know the 16 teams that will be slotted into future events and closed qualifiers from this particular Open. Uh, one big, two big takeaways from me, and we'll dive into it. Uh, TSM look great. They look like they want. They look like they're a team that want that number one overall wow, spot. Wow, they're good. Who would who have guessed? Who would have yeah, guessed? They, but they look like a they team suddenly, that want they to. They suddenly didn't get bad just because yeah. we didn't see them for two yeah. months. Or well, so. no, not only that though, but they're a team that want to remind everybody that we're yeah. the number one team over Sentinels. Yeah, I think definitely. that that rivalry is definitely brewing yeah. there. Yeah, and. There are a lot of teams that leveled up in this tournament as well, and I think a lot of people will point to Gen G, and we'll talk mm. about them a little bit later. But let's just get some first impressions, Emily. Overall, we've seen the Nerd Street Gamers stream. We've seen a lot of side streams as well, particularly Hiko being a great example. Uh, what have you made of the structure and also what we've seen so far from First Strike? 
Um, so I think people are still kind of con confused about the structure. Are they? I, I don't know. I've seen a lot of people still talking about like, but wait, what does this mean for like <clears throat> X team? And basically, there are two open qualifiers. So if your team uh, got eliminated early and you're mad about it, they actually still do have a chance to to qualify for first strike. Um, basically, it's open bracket one into qualifier one. The top four teams from that advance. The five through eight teams get auto-seeded into qualifier two. And then the rest of the teams that fill out qualifier two come from the UMG tournament. Uh, and then the top four teams of qualifier two also qualify. And then we have our final eight. Uh, so in case people were still confused about how the flow of the tournament was, that's it. I'm only bringing it up because I saw there was still some confusion uh, from from people as to whether their team could still qualify. So, um, I mean, <clears throat> I've really enjoyed watching. I think the main takeaway I have actually, because we... Uh, and and I'm sure like we'll get into this when we start talking about individual teams. But we've said this on the show before. Uh, I know Tyler said it last show. Uh, all of us have said it previously, even two months ago. My key takeaway is that yes, currently from what we've seen, TSM are looking like the top team. Mm. Um, their match against Hundred Thieves was really fun to to watch, uh, despite. <clears throat> I know people are kind of mad about 100 Thieves. I'm not really sure why. I thought they actually had good performance this tournament. Um, but the top NA teams are all, like, there are a lot of teams that are, like, very closely packed together. Um, and I find that super interesting because then you can get into how teams are playing, how they're performing in this moment. And then once we do get that patch, like I said last week, um, I'm really interested to see what team adapts. If we do have a team suddenly rising up and being like, this is the team that figured out, you know, uh, like Icebox first or whatever, mm. you know, like that, that kind of stuff, even though I don't like, I don't like mid-tournament patch changes. Um, I'm very curious to see if we do see that, if we see like a meta team rise. Um, but for right now, I don't know. I, I'm just having like a lot of fun getting back into Valorant. And I think a lot of these teams are pretty like, evenly matched across the board so that it depends on map selection and how people are performing on the day uh my biggest takeaway without just we're going to go into like team by team after this but i think as a as a full view i think what i've kind of learned from the sermons you know kind of like resetting after the whole ignition series and getting the you know the thrill of that is that we haven't even scratched the surface of like what Valorant is or what's good in Valorant or who's good in Valorant or what teams are going to work in Valorant long term. I mean, look look at Gen G. We're gonna talk about Gen G in a minute, but like they had a man named Sean with five numbers to his name, and the guy's a god out of nowhere, and he shows that that one player can raise a team so high up. And I think it's like we're going to see more and more Sean's one, two, nine, five, zeros. I think I got the numbers right, hopefully. And I think we're going to see a lot more of these up and coming youngsters come through the system. We saw with us, uh, Asana and Dicey. Asana, obviously, coming from CSGO, had a bit of a background, a bit of a buzz around him before that. But I think we're going to see a lot more 15, 16, 17 year olds, 18 year olds pop up over the next few months, over the next few years in all these different regions. And I think right now, there are a few really good teams, but I don't know if we've seen any really great teams yet. And I'm talking about the entire world at this. G2 Esports, 
uh, you know, uh, Vision Strikers in South Korea, Absolute Jupiter, TSM Sentinels. They all have weaknesses. They all either, you know, outmuscle the, the opposition by not having to have too many strategies up their sleeves, or they're a team that do evolve and do get better and better, but we don't know if those rosters overall are going to be the end-all, be-all in five months when we see more Shans and more Asanas and more Dicey's come through the ranks. And when you have people from, like, the Immortals team who have shown that they know what to do when they come for scouting and finding players like shot up who can have huge performances and be leaders in the ACS category in, in their first tournaments as a pro player, it just kind of shows that we have not even breached, no pun intended, really the top the, 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 the top form of what Valorant could be. We're not even close to it right now. I think I actually have to agree with something I saw on Jason R's stream a few weeks ago. And Jason R quite frankly said right now we are in tier three of Valorant. Everyone is tier three. We have not even scratched tier two. We've not even scratched tier one yet. And this is nothing to take away from TSM or Sentinels or any of those teams. We are still in the early fledgling stages of Valorant. And this TSM roster, this five-man roster, might be a world-class roster in a year or two and just stay together and get better and better. But right now, I can't say, look at any of these teams and say, you are you know, the end-all be-all. You are damn one gaming of Valorant, right? There is no damn one gaming. There's no SKT. There's no, you know, top typically top team that just excels in a specific style or various styles. I think everyone's still learning. Everyone's still quickly learning and whoever can adapt the fastest can be the most flexible will become our first world champion, whenever that is meant to be. Because I think right now we haven't hit that, that top yet, or even the tier two yet. So I really do think when it comes down to it, the season one world championship, whatever is called, hopefully in 2021, whenever it's hosted, it's not going to come down to, specifically who's the strongest team. It's going to be the team who can adapt the fastest and learn the fastest. And I don't know, that could be anyone. And that's why it's so exciting, right? Those early world championships with Fnatic in season one and TPA in season two, you have surprises early on. It, when you get later on in the lifespan of eSport, you see a lot more domination. You get a lot, a lot less surprises. But right now in Valor, especially North American scene with Emily said, there's 20, 30 orgs invested in the scene right now, and all of them could be anyone on any given day outside of a very select few. Well, there are definitely teams that we thought would underperform, have overperformed, and likewise the other way around. And you you talked about Jason R. Maybe he left a curse on his old team. Phase legend! Voodoo and his back. Please recognize him as such, Arda. You know, Fa legendary phase captain record since he left the team. Legendary phase captain Jason R. I, you're, you're absolutely respect. right. How dare I? How dare I? Well, that legendary captain has left his team in shambles, apparently, because phase clan <laughs> did not make the top 16. Uh, and so now we are in this situation where they're, they're not out entirely, right? They can go into the second open qualifier, which is a tougher road for them, and they can still make it to the next round of the first strike tournament. But for FaZe Clan and also teams like NRG and Anbox, uh, let's talk about them as a group here. You can feel free to pick one team to focus on here, Emily, but how concerned should any of these three teams be that they had such a poor performance in the open qualifiers in the first open qualifier and first strike. I'm going to put NRG aside just because I think, you know, the, the whole first tournament thing applies. Uh, it just so happens that this is a 
probably the biggest tournament we're going to have all year or like the most meaningful. Um, and they can still qualify. And Box, I think we had a lot of really strong expectations from them from their win in the Renegades tournament. Um, and I think their their strengths were shown in that tournament, um, specifically their approach to split was really, really good. Um, and then we saw that beyond that, they still have a lot to improve on, right, from their performance in this tournament. So I'm not super concerned about Nbox either. I think it's a very similar thing where we were thinking, you know, we were talking about them last week. We're like, how much does this mean? Well, it's great that they look so well coordinated. It's great that <clears throat> they have this really uh, interesting approach to split and, and play really well on it. Um, but we want to see them in a team with, you know, the like more of the major orgs. Um, and uh, I mean, even though they didn't, they didn't really go up against them. I think that's still like, you know, like you kind of put a pin in them and just be like, okay, we'll wait to see uh, how you can improve from this. Um, I think there's a lot of good like pieces there. Um, <clears throat> phase is definitely the most concerning one. Um, it's not like super, because again, like I think to stress what I kick this off with, it's one of those things where if they do have an off day or if they do struggle in any respect, there are teams that can easily beat them because everything in North America is pretty, it, it, like, obviously you still have stratification, but there's a, there's that threat from every single team you face. And I, like, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to say like, oh man, this is like super concerning for phase. Um, I do think that a lot of the kind of issues that they had previously are, are still kind of issues where Corey is the standout player. And then someone like <clears throat> baby Bay, who sometimes tends to play <clears throat> ahead of the rest of the team uh, gets in trouble and they're still trying to figure out <clears throat> their coordination. Um, so of the of these three, I would be the most concerned about FaZe. But even then, like, there's no team in this tournament where I'm like, oh, my gosh, the sky is falling. This is awful, et cetera. Yeah, I don't think anyone here really needs to be sweating too much. Obviously, in, when you think about it logically, a lot of these top teams who are in the first tournament aren't going to be in the second open qualifier because they're already going to be qualified for first strike. So that makes the second tournament a bit easier when it comes to open qualifying. On FaZe Clan's, on FaZe Clan's point, I actually don't think it was that big of an upset. It wasn't an upset at all. I think actually think the better team, the more consistent team over the last month or two uh, during the dark ages of North American Valorant won Equinox Esports, the former China win, a uh, team that has shown time and time again these players have been around the scene since the very beginning, and they've been top Radiant players, and they've performed very well. We've seen some have these guys up as one of the best amateur teams then when Som left, bringing players like Decop and Mina, this team once again rose to the top of the amateur scene until Equinox Esports, a new Oklahoma City venture, picked them up very recently. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why people are like, oh, FaZe got upset. They lost to this random Equinox team. But no, like I think statistically, if you look at like kind of like the ELO rankings, it wasn't an upset at all. I think the better team won in that in that respect. So Phase has to catch up to Equinox, not the other way around. And just kind of to, you know, finish off the points of, you know, these three teams that kind of fell in the early stages of the tournament, 
uh, NRG Ace win. NRG Ace win. Uh, you know, Ace, come on, man. Your team, they lost. <laughs> they need you, buddy. They need you. The Jets there, buddy. Come on. Come on, Ace. We all want to see you. You know, pull it out. Because, please, where everyone's waiting for you. I know you want to be a variety streamer. I know you're, you know, raking in that streamer cash. Come on. Pull, we just have on. to convince him that the come thrill on. of competition is more the thrill important than of competition, the Asu. Come on, man. <laughs> I want to see it. I want to see Ace play professionally. I interviewed him at the start of Valorant. Now I picked mm-hmm. Ace as the guy who was going to be the breakout star of the Valorant scene before it even started. I was kind of right. I was kind of right and kind of wrong. Kind of right that he would lead the Valorant scene in the Twitch streaming world, but not in the competitive scene. I want to see Ace play competitive. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think this is a cause of concern. They're a very new team, obviously, their first term. I do think NRG will have a very good chance of qualifying for first strike in the upcoming UMG tournament. But you always want to see the best players play, man. And someone who's exciting and mechanically driven as Asu and in a very fledgling scene, like he could be a mega star. He's a player that if you took him to the first world championship, he would put on a show, win or lose. I know, but the variety bag is too big. I know grinding one game, especially Valorant, can be very tiring. I know, Arda. I know, Mm. but I want to see it. I still want to see it. (laughs) Well, we saw a lot of great gameplay throughout this entire open qualifier, including from the brand new 2.0 version of 100 Thieves. Mm. Uh, Hiko doing Hiko things that we all knew. We knew his clutch ability. We saw it in droves in this tournament. But let's just talk about this new roster with the new additions. What do we think of 100 Thieves' performance? Uh, they got stopped by TSM eventually, but they did qualify to the next round in the Nerd Street Gamers portion of things. So, Tyler, starting with you on this one, uh, grading 100 Thieves so far? B+. plus. I love my B+, pluses in Valor, but I feel like it's a very B+, plus, you know, kind of take here. Uh, top 8, lost to TSM. Uh, you know, two-time edition series winner, arguably a top three team in Valorant's history so far, alongside Sentinels and G2 Esports. You could throw uh, Vision Strikers as well from South Korea to make that top four. But <clears throat> this is a team that's always going to – it's going to take time for them to settle in. And in this, you know, single elimination tournament, you're playing TSM, a team that's kind of falling back into their old form of, you know, drone, you know, off of – you know, off of his, you know, uh, uh, his wackiness on Sova. Now he's playing back on more, you know, traditional, his traditional agent Phoenix. Uh, Sub Rosa has, has kind of stopped with the uh, uh, the entry fragger slash shot caller role. And he's much, he's, he's kind of dove back and being like, I'm not going to try to do it all. I'm going to play a more reserved all around role. Let, you know, uh, drone be the entry fragger or other players on the team. I, I think, 100 Thieves fans should be kind of excited what they saw. This is not the 100 Thieves team of old, where it felt like Kiko sometimes was kind of baiting his teammates into, you know, it, it felt like it was disconnected a lot of times, where it was Kiko playing Counter-Strike and his four teammates playing PUBG, and it felt like there was a disconnect between everyone. There's definitely a chemistry between him, Steel, and Nitro. Asuna and Dicey, still a bit off, but nowhere near kind of the disconnect it was when it was the original 100 Thieves roster. Asuna and, Asuna and Dicey will catch up to Steam. Asuna kind of looked out of place in the TSM series. Asuna is very, I, I don't want to say hidden miss player. He's gotten a lot better. He's become a lot more consistent. Instead of being a 50-50 player as he was at the beginning of his immortal tenure, he's now more of an 80-20 player where 80% of the time he's going to pop off, get 20-plus kills, and can't hard carry on the Reyna or another duelist. 
And 20% of the times, he'll look more timid, make some mistakes. I think the TSM series, he looked very timid, a lot less aggressive than you usually see of Asuna. But I think overall, I think by you know the end of the first strike tournament, I do think they will qualify for first strike. I believe in this roster. I think overall, by the end of it, we're going to see a much better 100 Thieves roster who could contend with Sentinels and you know TSM and a Cloud uh, Cloud Nine Blue and a Genji. I think they could be a top five team in North America by first strike's end. And I still really believe in this roster. I think it's very well made. Uh, Dicey and Asuna will catch up with the rest of the team. This is not a, a, an original 100 Thieves issue. This team looks a lot better in a lot of their uh, cohesion mishaps and a lot of the disconnects that I saw with the first roster aren't here in uh, this new Neo 100 Thieves roster. I think TSM was just playing better on the day. I think when Asuna has a better day, when he's a bit more aggressive, when his shots are hitting, this series is a lot closer. I think when I look at the the TSM 100T series after that like kind of nail biting Moon Raccoons series uh, with the you know the Hiko diffuse that ended up everywhere um, in the TSM series, I think you saw um, the limitations first of all of Steel's focus on playing Killjoy and them not running a cipher. Um, I thought that was. An interesting choice that had previously worked out well for them, but against TSM, um, Subrosa's omen was basically, if you notice, like how he used his smokes against the her. Um, I keep wanting to say boombot; it's alarmbot, uh, <laughs> and her turrets um, was really, really smart and basically handicapped a lot of what Steel wanted to do when they were trying to set up their flanks. Um, so I thought, a that was just a really good. That was a good read from TSM, right? Like, you need to give them credit for that. Um, And then B, the fact that 100T focused on running this composition um, with Steel and the the Killjoy, with no Cypher, um, was interesting. I do think it kind of affected... Obviously, like, he has said on stream, I believe, that he prefers Killjoy, um, and they believe in in running this. So... uh, uh, they obviously had practiced it, and I think they they didn't look bad with it. But I do think uh, Cipher is so ubiquitous because of what he brings in terms of vision, uh, and that could have helped them out a lot. And I think because they didn't have that extra piece, uh, TSM and Sabrosa were really able to shut that down. Uh, but but that aside, again, like <clears throat> I kind of let off with this a bit, but I was super surprised at how many people were like. Oh, 100T suck again. I'm like, dude, were we, like, maybe I just don't have eyes. Like, were we watching the same game? Like, maybe I am just the idiot here. Because uh, I thought they looked pretty good. Like, they do have <clears throat> a few coordination issues. But I actually really liked a lot of what I saw from this team. And I'm excited to see them again. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see the how harsh the reaction was to this 100T team. I don't know if it's just because 100T fans feel so burned from that initial roster um, and the initial entry into Valorant where they were like, we're super hyped for 100T and then it definitely didn't work out. I'm not really sure if the reaction is kind of like a hangover from that. Uh, But I think this team, to Tyler's point, like they they look a lot more well-coordinated already. um, And I, I want and look forward to seeing them improve. Let's make, let's make no mistake, though. This team has to perform. This team has yes, to be top five under, in North America. You're the, the amount of they're money. They're under so much pressure. The amount of money that Nadeshot pumped into this team 
players on this roster make more than some of these other rosters combined in terms of salary. Let's make this very clear. This team has time to them. They have a leash to them, but they must be top four by the time lands start. By the time lands kick up, by the time we're having dream hacks and ESLs and, and riot hosted tournaments, we have the first world championship on the horizon. This team has to qualify from North America. If this team does not make the first world championship of Valorant, whatever you want to call it, Valorant Worlds, the Valorant Grand Prix, whatever Waylon and this team decides to make it, Hunter Thieves must make it there. They must make it to the first world championship. If they don't, it's a gigantic failure. But until that point, until we do get to lands, they have a leash. They have a long leash, and I believe in this roster. I believe in this five-man roster. I do think by the time we get to lands, by the time we think of the world championships, that we will think of 100 Thieves as a top five team in the world. But right now, they're still learning. They're still growing. They're still going to lose to the Sentinels and the TSMs of the world. I'm just saying that they have to perform because this roster was not cheap. This roster was not something that came by uh, just kind of haphazardly. This team was carefully put together with buyouts by Dicey and Asuna from Immortals and some big contracts with Nitro, Steel, and Hiko. So this team has a lot of money behind them, a lot of expectations behind them. Mm-hmm. They're going to get time. We have to give them time. But by the first World Championship, if this team is not representing North America in one of those slots... It's a gigantic failure, Arda. Hey, hey, Emily, what do you think costs more, the 100 Thieves Valorant roster or the LA Thieves CDL slot? Ooh. Allegedly, people. Allegedly. The CDL slot still. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> By a significant um, margin. <laughs> moving Those on. Those things are uh, not cheap. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're not. Allegedly, they're not cheap. Uh, Gen G, they ha- had a fantastic performance in First Strike as well. Mm. They are going to be playing Envy in the semifinals of the Open Qualifier. That's happening at 5 p.m. Eastern today, October 29th. And by the way, speaking of uh, TSM that we sort of mentioned there, they're playing Cloud9 Blue at 8 p.m today as well october 29th so uh the addition of sean emily uh this has been a boon for gen g uh they already they already had great performances in ignition series and now they look like a team that could really contend for that top spot with some great performances uh i mean his reina was nutty right like that's exactly like we've we've talked about this before when Reyna was first released and people weren't picking her as often because if she goes in and dies, it's a massive problem. But her kit is also something that lends itself to being super aggressive and profiting off that. And some of his picks were just absolutely insane. Like, it was so fun to watch this guy just, like, completely pop off. Um, I think his, his stats on that ascent map like are are insane um and obviously statistics aren't everything but i think he definitely made a case for himself in terms of why genji decided to pick him up right um now on the flip side i see a lot of people talking about sentinels because of kind of the let's just say what lackadaisical way that they accepted their loss on social media um I don't think there's too much of a cause for concern for this team, um, but it obviously was not a very good performance from them. Uh, so hopefully the Sentinels fans are right and they were just 
kind of taking it easy in this qualifier, but that also begs the question of why you would want to do that, especially with uh, <clears throat> a new patch possibly on the horizon. So um, I'll just throw that out there because it was a big discussion post-match. Um, and I think it took away from how good Genji looked, uh, especially on the scent um, uh, behind Sean's arena, which I thought was absolutely insane to watch and super fun. Put respect on my boy's name, Emily and Arda. His name is Genji Sean12590. Do not forget <laughs> the five numbers because that makes the whole bit. Sean12590 or Sean12590. That's my guy right there. Sean, thank he's you. Going, he's you going are the LPL beast. route with the, the beast, random, the random numbers. numbers. Yeah, the random numbers. Nine, I love yeah. it. 12590. But no, but really, with Genji, I mean, it, it, I think I've, I've kind of, you know, kind of said this over and over again. And if you look back at the Valorant Power Ranking show every single week, Arda, it was a, kind of the same thing with Genji. They were either fourth or fifth. It was always, man, they're solid. They're a well coached team. They are a well oiled machine. These guys are so close. They're such close friends. You know, all French Canadians, all coming from the CSGO scene. They know how to play together. They don't have that one star player, that one ace carry. But on any given day, any of those five players could step up, get those 20, 25 kills, and get them to that top four. But they're always missing that one extra piece, that one piece that could put them to the tippy, tippy top, Arda, and make them a Sentinels equivalent or a TSM equivalent or a Cloud9 Blue equivalent when you have the tens of the world. When you have TSM with Drone, Wardell, and Sorbrosa. When you have Sentinels, when you have the crazy wild man himself, Sinatra, getting ability kills out the wazoo, you need that extra piece to put them over the top. And I really do think Sean12590, this man, this kid, this 19-year-old Naruto fan with the Naruto. There's too many anime avatars in, in Valorant. I just want to say that out there. Two, come on, guys. Let's comment down with the anime avatars. But Sean12590, one, two, one, two, I think, can be that ace player. He did show some inconsistencies. His reign looked clean as hell. His raise, mm, not so much. But the thing about Gen G is that even if Sean doesn't have that pop-off game every single time, they are solid enough to rally around and have solid enough game plans and strategies to make up for it. They don't need Sean to have a tens-like performance every single game to get into the top four, but they need him to be that level of player when you are against 10, when you are against Wardell, when you are in the top four and you need that ace player to carry you with 20, 25 kills, sometimes even 30 plus kills. That's where I think that's why they brought in Sean because he, they think he can be that ace player that gets them over the hump. And I don't, I don't know if it's true yet because again, they're in the top four. They beat Sentinels. This is not something that hasn't happened. Like This is something that happened before in initial series events. This is not something crazy. They are a perennial top four team. Now we'll see, though, in the top four, if that extra firepower, if that extra firepower of Sean12590 can get them over the hump and get them a championship of him as their ace player. So Sean12590, I apologize, Tyler, uh, led the way. And by the way, this was a, a solid victory for Genji over Sentinels. 13 to 5 yeah. on Ascent. Sean led the way with er uh, against everybody with 22 kills Clean and a plus hell. 12 differential. 
And on split, he didn't have the best game. He was a minus one. He was actually the least statistical performing player on Gen G, but they still had a fantastic game. Player one getting 18 kills, Hoon getting 18 kills, uh, and they just dominated there as well. So to your point, Sean doesn't have to be the best performing player every single game. He's still a role, uh, playing a role in certain maps that is allowing the team to win. And actually, uh, he's just doing very well in the tournament overall when you're looking at it from a statistical point of view. So Gen G leveling up. Now we shift our focus to Sentinels, Emily. You talked about them briefly uh, while we were talking about Gen G as well. Is this a cause for concern in your opinion? Is this a, a crack in the armor or was this just an off game? I mean, I think they'll be fine. Again, like this is not... Like, yes, I feel like we've kind of pumped up and they've done such a good job, right, on social media of, like, pumping up their own rivalry of it's Sentinels, it's TSM, and then everyone else. Mm. Um, but I think that, like like Tyler said, like, this isn't, like, a, a massive, like, mm. shocking upset, in my opinion. Like, yes, Gen G are and already were even prior to uh, bringing in Sean onto this team they were still a good team. Like they were still a team that you had to prep for and you had to play well against in order to beat. And they were the better team on the day. Do I think that's a huge cause for concern for Sentinels? No, they themselves do not seem all that concerned about it. Um, I think they will absolutely qualify. If they don't, then then it's a huge, huge cause for concern. And then we go back and revisit this series and we are like, okay, what happened? Like, was this just they were the better team on the day? Or was this you didn't prepare for, you know, this opponent or you didn't prepare particularly well for this tournament specifically? Um, but until that happens, and I don't think it's going to happen, uh, I think Sentinels will be absolutely fine. Yeah, they're fine. There's nothing cost concern. It's it's a they lost in a seeding match. There's no prize money on the line. Uh, for all the big words they have, Sentinels have backed it up. This is a team that's won two IG titles, uh, one of the top four teams in the world up to this point with, you know, Vision Strikers, G2 Esports, and TSM. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. If they go into the next stage of the tournament and they don't qualify, mm -hmm. then we can have that's some words. Then yeah. we're going to sit down with you, Sentinels, and we're going to give you a, a pep talk here. We're going to have to go Coach Smith on your butt. But for right now, uh, you also see the match. Coach Fion is coming. Yeah, yeah. Coach Fion is coming if you don't do well. <laughs> but let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They are okay. the back. They are the IG champions. They are one of the best we've seen in Valorant thus far. When it comes to when it gets down to the nitty gritty, they've shown that they can pull it out. And I think you know the trash talk of TSM. That it does not matter if Sentinels goes zero and twenty. They're always going to trash talk TSM and vice versa. And, and let's be honest, that's what that's kind of what's made Valorant great. And the, this rivalry has been one of the main reasons why the North American Valorant scene has kind of been at the forefront of the Valorant scene in the last few months. So I'm a, I'm okay if the trash talk back and forth. I just can't wait until they start fighting at lanes. Arda cannot wait. Well, they're actually going to be fighting if you listen to their social media. We got oh, yeah. two boxing matches already booked. <laughs> we now, now we have Sabroza and Shazam as the second fight. We already had, or sorry, it was it was Wardell and Shazam, yeah. and then Sabroza and Zom. So we yeah. already have like a full yeah. card brew. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. It's a it's an exciting time. Like I cannot wait until I, I just can't wait until the first real riot land, and you know they're checking into their Holiday Inn. Everyone's waving at each other. You know, the, uh, okay, fine, oh, fine, Marriott. Okay, I'm sorry, the Marriott, the Marriott. I'm sorry, Riot. I'm sorry, right? The Marriott. You see, you know, you have the green teams all waving at each other. Oh, the you know, you car. Carlos laughing, snickering at the NA teams. You the Japanese teams, the Brazilian teams hugging, and then you see you know Sentinels walk in. You see TSM walk in, and everything falls quiet. All the all the people in the you know the, the hotel who don't know what's going on are like, what are these nerds looking at? Why is it? Why is this like Reese? Why is this like the Jets and the Sharks? It, it, it's going to be great. I don't think I actually is that is that Reese is that the Jets and the Sharks? Did I, get I that thought story it was wrong? the. West Side Story. Ah, uh, yeah, story. yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's far beyond my age, Jordan. You were either going that or to the Outsiders. I didn't I know where you were going kid, with that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Not the Outsiders. Where you were going? Not, what not I'm laughing at is I love how the the juxtaposition of worlds in League of Legends being in this like luxurious hotel yeah. in Shanghai, but and then they get the yeah, Holiday yeah. Inn for the Valorant. But it's the Holiday Inn yeah. Express for Valorant. We know, you know? We know exactly Hol- where you stand. Holiday nine dollar rooms, guys. Holiday Inn. I've been to many. Holiday Inn in my day. I've been to many Holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah. Not there's not always a Marriott at every city you go to for these tournaments. I like Holiday Inns. Welcome, they do great welcome service. Welcome to Valorant Worlds in beautiful Des Moines, Iowa. We are <laughs> staying at the Holiday. Inn I mean, it, it can't top the Tallahassee, Florida, yeah, yeah. 2015. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, so we, we were going through the uh, the teams here. Uh, this is an awful segue. I do want to uh, turn to a serious tone here because the next team we want to talk about here uh, is Cloud9. We're going to talk about both mm. blue and white. And uh, we have to address the elephant in the room as it pertains to Cloud9 White Emily, and that is uh, the amount of hate that they've received in chat. This is nothing new. We've talked about toxicity on this show before. It's disheartening every time we see it. It's ludicrous. It's ridiculous. We always make the same point. We want it to go away. We want measures taken such that it doesn't happen again. Uh, But the best we can do is not let it take away from cloud nine white's performance despite the fact that it's continuously happening it's not exclusive to cloud nine white obviously emily but the fact that it's happening is still very disheartening yeah i mean i'm not like it's one of those gee whiz i'm disappointed but certainly not surprised uh and that's really all i have to say about that if you are one of those people flaming them uh stop um, in terms of their performance, I thought they were fine. I think the only valid, I think the only valid criticism would be <clears throat> that of their placement because <clears throat> people were not sure where they should be seated. Um, and I think that's something that will be fixed in subsequent tournaments, and then that will not no longer be an issue. So um, I think that that is the only like a quote unquote valid complaint. <laughs> but I also don't know how else you would have gone about seating them. Um, and then in terms of their performance, they, I mean, they had some like individual pop-off moments at one point. I thought they were going to come back and take at least a map. Um, they were unable to do so. Uh, so, I mean, it, it stinks because of all the extracurricular BS around their appearance. Um, but I think they'll be fine. And I, I, I know we're going to segue into this into a bit, but like, I actually really like the idea of sister teams. I know people are like kind of iffy on them and Riot themselves are very out on them. Um, 
But I like the idea that C9, like, despite the fact that, yes, you could theoretically have these two teams go up against each other in a bracket, mm-hmm. I like the fact that you can come up with uh, individual, uh, like, approaches to the game by scrimming your sister team. I think that's something that, again, before it was eradicated in 2015, we saw League of Legends orgs be remarkably successful with. And obviously the flip side is that you have to have some sort of plausible de- deniability that there's no match fixing going on if they do happen to meet each other. Um, but but yeah, like in terms of the the overarching idea of C9 mm-hmm. having, I mean, now they have three teams, right? Because of their, their third team in, in Korea, which doesn't enter the conversation <laughs> regarding blue and white because they can't play each other because of, right now everyone's pretty much region locked due, the pan- due to the pandemic. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I want to see more from them. Uh, I think what I saw was pretty interesting. Uh, and I hope that at the very least, the next tournament, people will be a little bit, um, less unhappy with the way that they're seated. So we can put that part of the conversation aside and hopefully put away all of the other BS around them aside. Tyler, one thing I just want to mention before, uh, just to add some positivity to the whole Mm. conversation we just had. Uh, Here's a tweet from Sapphire, who is really one of the OGs uh, in esports, has been doing great things and competing and is also the VP of talent for Dignitas. Here's what she wrote about uh, women competing in Valorant. There's a ridiculous amount of interest in fielding women's Valorant teams. In my 20 years in esports, I've never seen a game that brought together so many women from other communities, and many aren't just playing casually. They want to compete. So, for those of you that are being toxic in the chat, this is not going away. Get over it, stop doing it, and be a positive force in the community. Uh, I, I, I'm just be a straight shooter here. Right? I'm not going to mince words. I'm not going to, you know have some mythical you know speech here i'm gonna be a straight shooter here with you cloud knight white are good yeah i'm not here to say you can't criticize female players women players when it comes to valorant if they came and got a number six seed and embarrassed themselves you can criticize their play you're not criticize them because yes. they're women criticize them because of the lack of their play and the stupid seeding that got them there but yes. cloud nine white i believe fully in my heart are our top 20 team in north america right now with the potential to be a top 10 team in North America, with the infrastructure of Cena behind them. This team is not a joke. They are not a Vivictus Gaming of the LCL, which was a professional women's League of Legends team that was rolled out in the LCL, the Russian League of Legends League, and they lost every match in about 15 minutes, Arda and Emily. And Emily, I'm sure you saw those matches as well. That was a publicity stunt. C9 White is not a publicity stunt. They are a damn good team and deserve respect. I watched all of their games, and all five players deserve your respect. And sure, they're maybe not the top five team. Maybe they didn't deserve the number six seeding, but seedings are all out of place in Valorant. Look at the European formats for Valorant. Those are nothing close to perfect. So I, as someone who's watched all their games, who has watched them play, I have a whole lot of respect for this team because I truly believe they can be a top 10 team in North America and they're damn good as they are currently. They deserve your respect as not just women in esports, but as Valorant pro players because they deserve their contract with C9. And I think with that team behind them, with ATT behind them, with the infrastructure that C9 is going to put them through, they can become a team that can really compete at the North American level, the top North American level in a few months. So I, I really do think like... Like, if you watch any of these players in solo queue, if you watch any of them on stream, they are right up there with the Hikos and, you know, the Ace Shoes. They are playing against these guys. These are not just 
publicity stunts. He's like, I've watched Andy Drew stream tons of times. She's an excellent player. She has one of the best statistical rankings in the entire tournament when it comes to ACS. She is a monster. She is awesome. So when I'm not talking about, you know, mythical words here, I'm not talking, you know, you don't need, you know, uh, yay, you know, moral victories. C9 and White is a damn good team, and they're only going to get better. And, and actually, to add to that point, we need to move beyond the idea of celebrating when a female team enters tournaments like this. That should be the norm. We should just accept it as a team of human beings playing this game. And so we celebrate human beings that do well and also criticize human beings' behavior in the game. Mm. That's exactly what should be uh, happening they're, they're when really you're professionals good. playing. Exactly. They if belong watch... there, and when they falter and when there are things to criticize uh, about their play, we will uh, absolutely do so on a program like this uh, because they're human beings uh, playing the game. They're so good, though. They're is... really good. Like, yes. Please watch them play. Like, Watch the... them play. Yes, 100%. The gender part of it, flaming them simply because of their gender yeah. in chat is ridiculous. We all know this. It needs to stop. Stop it, people. Let's criticize the play of any human being playing in these tournaments. I mean, we'll say it until we're red in the face and until change is actually activated, as long as that might take. Just watch Looking... them. They're good. They're so good. Exactly. Looking ahead at the rest of the tournament, do we have any thoughts, any predictions, any teams that we really should be watching out for as we move forward? Emily, let's start with you on this one. Um, I mean, sorry, I have a woofing dog in the background, so that's, that's okay. why I muted myself. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say, I have lost all hope of people treating women in esports mm. equally, so that's why I didn't have to say anything, um, which sucks, but, you know, whatever, it's coping mechanism. Um, in terms of the final teams, uh, I, I'm like, I really am super curious about Genji versus Envy. That's the matchup I'm looking forward to more than TSM C9 Blue, and maybe that's just because I'm still a little bit, I guess, not down on C9 Blue per se, but still slightly down on them as a team, if that makes sense. It's like, for me, it's still basically tens, not that, like, like he is the one who is carrying them this mm. far still. Um, and I think when you go up against a team that is, as well coordinated as TSM, like I did point out with, for example, how they approached 100 Thieves specifically, they took a look at what they were doing and I think they had really good answers for it, right? That was a good match between two like really good teams. And I think TSM should be able to dispatch C9 because they still have that advantage. I think they'll know how to play against C9. Um, I think they're still a much more well coordinated unit. Um, and so that's why, and, and I hope I'm proven wrong, right? Like, I I hope that that match is, like, super, super good as well, because I think C9 Blue are still a really good team. Um, but the one I'm more curious about is Gen G and Team Envy, because they both had a few roster changes. They're both looking pretty interesting with their new lineups. Um, and I think that's going to be a really close match uh, that I'm kind of favoring Team Envy. But honestly, it's, it's a bit of a toss-up, because Gen G really... I don't want to say shocked me, but they're they're performing better than I thought they would with having added someone to that lineup, if only because uh, we talked about this previously, but like their their main strength was that they were like the unit of five. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes adding someone 
like subtracting someone, adding someone else really messes with team chemistry, but it doesn't seem to have messed with their chemistry uh, at all. So uh, that that is the match. Like that's kind of the match that I'm really looking forward to today. Yeah, before we go, I want to shout the top five ACS players currently in the tournament for at least 80 rounds played. Number five, Shot Up, Immortals. Again, uh, Immortals, applaud to you. They sold off Dicey, Kohler, and Asuna. Uh, made a lot of money in those buyouts, uh, far more than what those actual contracts were worth to begin with. So applaud to them. And not only that, they brought in Shot Up, a relative unknown, and for the second term in a row, top five in ACS. He is a beast. I think he's going to continue to be one of these uh, unsung players. And, you know, in a few months from now, we probably will see one of these bigger orbs buy him out as well. And Immortals will continue playing Moneyball and playing around all these teams. Number four, Chase from Mamba Mode Gaming. Uh, uh, someone I've seen since the very beginning of Valorant as, you know, a solo queue player. He's always in the top radiant field. He's always in Hiko stream or Sinatra stream. Uh, I really do like Mamba Mode Gaming. They are one of the best amateur teams right now in the scene. I'm very excited to see if they get picked up by any big organization. Chase deserves a lot of credit for how well they're doing. Number three, Arter and Emily. Andy Drove, C9 White, number three in ACS in this tournament, 278 in her games. Like I said, she is a beast. She is a really, really good player, and I can only see better things happening for her and C9 White as the months go along and the infrastructure of C9 boosts them up. Number two, Corey, the Overwatch God himself. Phase. As we saw, did not have the best tournament, but Corey is humming along, still being that aimbot that he is on phase. And number one, uh, Arda Emily, any guesses who's number one in the ACS charts? Any guesses? Mm. Any guesses? I mean, uh, is he part of an org with multiple teams in the scene? Mm, yep, yeah, mm, uh, maybe. Is, is his name a number, maybe? Mm, yeah, it sort could of. be. Sort <laughs> of, yeah. Sort of. Um, yeah, I have yeah, no I'm idea. Gonna, I mean, who like, could I'm it be? Uh, I was so confused as to who. Uh, for the fifteen thousandth tournament in a row. Yeah, I was thinking, how how many tournaments have no. you been top? All, all four IG tournaments. All four IG tournaments. He was top ACS, <laughs> and now the fifth major tournament, First Strike North America, hundred eighty nine rounds, three hundred and twenty two ACS. 40 more than Corey in second place. It is Latenz James. It is the ace of aces. It is the magician of Valorant. Tens of C9 Blue in number one. He is ridiculous. He is the best player in the world. He is by far the most consistent player we've seen in Valorant. By far. He is the right now. There is no question. Tens is the best player in Valorant. And everyone behind him is catching up. He is a... Even on an off day, he's still putting up 25 kills. He's an absolute nut. He is the nuttiest player in Valorant. Just, it, his stats speak for himself. No no way you can do it. it it's inconceivable. So the first strike tournament continues. Of course, we are leading all the way to the regional finals happening from December 3rd to 6th. And that means that we will be here with you as well every single Thursday for timing. Follow us on Twitter, ESPN underscore esports. We will give you full announcements there. The three of us, Jacob, will be joining us as well. We are back. The ESPN esports Valorant show, the one you've craved, the one you've wanted for a while. We are here to cover the first strike tournament from beginning to end as regional tournaments are crowned but that's it for us right now good vibes and acts of kindness everybody we will see you next week